right, all right. Well, thank you, Malia, Eli, and Axel. Axel, where's where's Axel? You have the coolest haircut I have ever seen. I love it. In fact, I if um, if you could tell me where he goes and gets that done, uh, <laughs> I might uh, come in next week with a bit of an exciting haircut myself. That would that, yeah. <laughs> I have a feeling it won't look as cool on me, but uh, that would be that would be a lot of fun for everybody and a lot of laughs probably. Um, it is so good to see you and so glad that you're with us today. Um, I did have a few other things that I didn't have my notes in front of me, so uh, and I'll be in trouble if I don't let you know about these. So next Sunday um, at 9:15, we are going to be having a kids ministry volunteer meeting. Now, this is going to be for anyone who is interested in volunteering, or if you've already said, yes, I want to volunteer, and it's going to be a basic overview of kind of where we're headed with this. And we've been working on this for a while now, thinking about how how do we best disciple our kids in 2021? And while Journey's a newer church, we're only about 13 years old, the world is not the same as when we started 13 years ago. And it's crazy for us to continue to think that everyone learns the same way and we need to do things the same way. And even though many would say, hey, well, some people have been doing things a lot longer than 13 years, we feel like our kids are so important that we need to rethink what that looks like moving forward. So if you're interested in volunteering, that's going to be next Sunday 9.15, just come early, and we're going to go over everything, including curriculum and safety precautions, which I will tell you will include continued opportunities for you to disciple at home, because we fully believe that that is the most important part about um, discipling your kids. Also, there will be a parent meeting on April 11th. Now, that's going to be the day that we start back babies through first graders, uh, and so we're going to be or hoping to have a full slate of volunteers. We uh, Several of you have volunteered. We still need some more because uh, what we try to do is just, if you if you say, yeah, I'm in, that's one Sunday a month since it happens while we're having worship. We don't want you to miss worship every week to serving kids. So it's one Sunday a month. And, uh, and that parent meeting is going to be for everyone who has kids. At 9.15, we will have child care for you so that you can actually pay attention to what we're talking about. Um, and then we're going to just talk about where we're headed. So if you're not really ready to serve yet, but you've got a child that you would like to be involved, then come on, and we want to share all of those things with you. There's also, we have a gift for each family, and that gift is also going to be a part of our ongoing strategy uh, moving forward. So that's going to be April 11th, but next Sunday, if you're interested in volunteering, and again, especially if you don't have zero through first graders, we would love for you to serve one Sunday a month, um, or if you're, you're not able to do one Sunday a month, if you'd be the one that says, hey, if, you, if somebody's out and you need a sub, uh, we need subs too. Um, and then sometimes we have fifth Sundays, so we could use you for that as well. You can just talk to me or you can talk to Deidre. Uh, we're looking forward to getting all that going. And our college group starts back tonight. Uh, well, that's going to be here tonight. So if you, are, if you are a college student or you are in your early 20s, then we invite you to come. It's a small group, but we're going to have some fun here. Our students got to go back um, and be in the youth suite. This past Wednesday, we had a lot of fun. I, I think it's one of the first Wednesdays we actually had to kick them out um, and tell them they have to go home. But uh, our college students who have grown up in our youth ministry from the time that they were kids, 
they get to experience the youth suite tonight. So we're going to have some fun up there. We've got some other things we're going to do with them tonight as well. That's five o'clock here tonight. So whether you are in your 20s or you're a college student or you skip college and you're working, but you're still that age, we want you to come because you are going through a lot of the same life issues. Okay. I think that is all that I'm supposed to announce, which feels really good because we've literally had no announcements for a year. But uh, so it's good that we have some. I, I do want to just caution some of us who are like, you know what? This pandemic's over. It's, it's not. And as much as we would like to do absolutely everything, we'd love. I, I look forward to our next table, which if you're a guest, the table is when we do a potluck here in the event hall. And uh, we just eat together and we talk and we spend time together. They're just beautiful times of community. I can't wait to do that. We're not ready to do that yet. Uh, I've been talking with some of our leaders about some first Friday, like first Friday of the month opportunities. We're going to come and do karaoke and play games and do all kinds of fun stuff together. We're going to do that when the time's right. So bear with us. Uh, This is a transitional season over these next few months, but we aren't sitting idly by. We are looking forward to spending more and more time together. And what I believe, and as I've shared with you, and I know we have some guests here today, is that Uh, A lot of people are asking some different questions today than they were asking a year ago. So this is a really important time for the church. We've had a rough year, not just because of COVID. We've had a rough year because uh, our relationships have been torn apart over many different things. As the church, the thing that is supposed to mark us is how we love. It's how we spend our time with each other, whether it's online or whether it's in person. The way that we love is even, the scripture even tells us, Jesus himself said, people will believe the message about me when you demonstrate that it has changed you and your love for each other. Last week we started this series called Rise Up and we are going to be going, if you look throughout the Old and New Testament, Jesus is not the only resurrection story. Some of you would say, well, yeah, I know Lazarus did too. Yeah, he did too. And then others might even remember when Paul raised the guy because he preached so long and late into the night, he fell out of a window and died. He brought him back to life, which don't test me on this. I don't, you're out of luck. If, uh, if you die here, I'll be, I'll pray that God will bring you back, but let's not test that theory out. Um, and I, I've, it's possible that I will put some of you to sleep, but you'll wake back up. And you may be familiar with those, but there are a lot of other instances of resurrection throughout the Old and the New Testament. So each week through this series, we're going to look at a different story. Last week we touched on Lazarus, but we didn't really look at the story of Lazarus because most of you have heard it over and over again. And we've taught about Lazarus several times in the last couple of years. But we looked at the reality that we as followers of Jesus are resurrection people. And we are about life, not about death. One of the interesting um, symbols of our faith has become the cross. But the cross was meant to be an intimidation factor when it was introduced to Christians because Rome wanted to silence the message that was just spreading like wildfire. And so they would put crosses out and say, look what happens to you when you do this stuff. Well, Christians at that time... And they were, they were tough. They were brazen. They had experienced something that absolutely transformed them. And they, for, for the Christian who saw the cross, oh, what you mean to hurt us, uh, we're going to use for good. 
and they embrace the cross. But we are not a people that are focused on death. We are a people who are focused on life. And that's what Jesus said. When you believe in me, you are a people of life. So that is our hope as we go through these next few months. This is the time for the church to rise up. The church has been a little bit battered and bruised over this last year over all the issues that are going on. This has been the story of the church for 2,000 years, though. So we continue, and we continue to follow the one who overcame death and gave us life as well. I want to read this story. This is actually a number of people were resurrected when Jesus was resurrected, interestingly enough. We find it only in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 27. You can follow along on version. We have my notes there. You can follow along by reading Scripture there. You might have brought your Bibles. You want to turn there. Matthew chapter 27, beginning with verse 45, and you may or may not remember this story. Jesus' resurrection was so significant, we tend to gloss over this. But this is the story of what happened. Even though this comes chronologically in Matthew's telling before Jesus walked out of the tomb, what he will say is this all happened after Jesus walked out of the tomb. So listen for that. And I want you to think about the significance of why does this matter? Why did this happen? It's, not, it's important that we as, as Christians don't just answer the questions of what happened, but we need to wrestle with the why, and typically this is where we struggle. Why did this happen? That's what we're going to wrestle with today. Matthew chapter 27, verse 45 says, Now, from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour G- Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Interestingly, Elijah is also involved with the resurrection story as well, which is probably why they're bringing him up. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Verse 51. These are a series of events that happened that are crucial to the foundation of our faith. Why do we believe what we believe? What has changed from Judaism to Christianity? These next few verses are some of the most important verses that tell us what was fundamentally changing about how God interacts with us. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, if you remember when we talked about God's presence, when we had our series about the afterlife, there is the kingdom of God and then there's the earth. There are places in which the kingdom of God would intersect with the earth. Initially, that was the Garden of Eden. And then when sin entered... Uh, They had to leave the Garden of Eden, and the kingdom of God and the kingdom of earth were separated. God didn't leave them that way. God came back and intersected the kingdom of God and earth again through the tabernacle and the temple. And God's resting place was literally in the Holy of Holies. And there was a curtain that separated the Holy of Holies. This was the literal dwelling place of God from the time that the first tabernacle was built until... Jesus died in this moment when this curtain tore. So there's an incredibly important moment in which this place in which God had resided for the nation of Israel, the curtain is torn, and the thing that had separated people from God was gone. The only people, if you'll remember, that could enter into the Holy of Holies were the priests, and not 
all the priests, the most holy, the purified priests could go in and could make atonement for the nation of Israel. So this curtain is not just, hey, it was a decorative curtain that tore. No, this was the symbol of the thing that separated us from the presence of God. It was torn. It was gone. So let me keep going. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened. Now, if you remember the story of Jesus, there was a rock that covered a hole in the side of a mountain in which someone would be buried. The tombs were often in that way. They would find a cave that were numerous in that part of the world, and they would cover it with a rock. So when they say the tombs sprang open, that means the coverings for the entrances to these tombs probably were uncovered, just like what would happen when Jesus walked out. And the angel was there to meet Mary. And verse 52, the tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. All this happened after his resurrection. So Jesus' resurrection, then all of these saints. And when the centurion and those who were with him Keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place. They were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Now, a couple of problems here. Matthew's the only one who shares this story. It's not a problem. It's just the reality that the other Gospels do not include this story in them. This is the only place it is. Now, scholars will disagree about why this is here. And I'm not going to go through all of the arguments of, of exactly what scholars believe about this, except I want you to see that this is following in a timeline that is meant to detail the history of what happened all at one time. Now, if you read on in your Bibles, you'll find that the resurrection of Jesus actually happens later. Matthew combines all of these instances in one place before he moves on to solely talk about Jesus, because that is the foundation of our faith. Now, why does this happen? Why does this happen? Some believe that the saints that are coming out of the tomb were like the the, the most well-known saints of the history of Judaism. That's probably not who came out of the tomb. For one, they're buried all over the place, and this is happening in Jerusalem. For two, it says that these people came out of the tombs and then walked into Jerusalem to what seems to be a joyous homecoming for loved ones to see them, which means probably, I haven't been dead long, because if they had, it's going to look more like a movie then it is going to be a joyous homecoming. Uh, So a lot of scholars believe that what this group of people is, these are people who have followed Jesus and have died in the process. Somewhere between knowing Jesus and the moment in which Jesus is crucified, some of his followers have died and they have come out and they have appeared to people in Jerusalem meant to give uh, veracity to the story that Jesus actually is coming back from the grave. Now, is that all true? I believe this is true. Is that exactly who it was? We don't know. That's who I think it is. Why does it matter? That's why I want to share this story with you. The reason this matters is because as a resurrection people, we have a tendency to focus primarily and only on the resurrection of Jesus. 
And yet what we know about what's happened in this last year is we are a people who have been associated with great death. Some of us have had friends who have died, family members, loved ones. Some of us haven't. Some of us don't know anyone who has died. Some of us have had several friends who have died from this, and you've been touched in different ways. If you've watched the news, you have been surrounded by stories of how you might die, which is a really wonderful way to spend your downtime, especially if you have a stressful job. Watch news stories about how you might die. Those are very uplifting and encouraging. But as we look at this story, one of the problems we have with people of faith today that they did not have then that we don't always believe that the power of God that could bring Jesus back from the dead is actually for us too. If we're going to be a people who rise up, if we're going to be a resurrection people focused on life, we have to believe that the power of God that can bring a man back to life can actually bring us to life right now, today. And what we find with this mass number of saints, because let's be honest, Jesus was enough for this time, right? Like, we didn't need extras. Like, yeah, I mean, I mean, I heard Jesus walked out of the tomb, but that was just one man. And that's not how people would respond, right? Like, if your friend came back from the dead, you wouldn't go, yeah, I, I mean, that's, man, that's great and all, but that was just a one-off. I mean, not that many. Like, we would be, everything would stop. Everything did stop. So why in the world do we need these saints coming back to life? And at the end of the day, I believe it is this, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ involved more than just Jesus. This is important to us because if it involved more than just Jesus, perhaps he wants to involve us more than we actually believe we are involved. I've told you for the last few weeks I believe that our way forward, I believe that the church, whether it's Journey Church or any other church that's in Chattanooga that is following Jesus, I believe our way forward is in the form of building good, healthy relationships with God and with us. This is the gospel. This is all of scripture. This is the Old Testament law. This is the law, the new commandment that Jesus has given us. Everything is wrapped up into relationships. It has always been about relationships. It will always be about relationships. We talked about, uh, I went through our series on emotions. We talked about love and and I really do believe, I I may have mentioned this last week, I believe the two most important sermons I have taught in years was the week on love and emotions and the week on walking humbly and our series on Micah 6, 8. Those two things are core identities of what it means to know Jesus, to love and to walk humbly, which means we raise others up to the level where we are. We don't lower ourselves, we raise others up to where we are. It is a constant place. This is what Jesus is doing for us. He is raising us up to his place, calling us brothers and sisters. He has adopted us into his family. This is what it looks like for us to move forward. The resurrection of Jesus Christ involved more than just Jesus, and it is demonstrated by, we don't know how many this is, but a number of people that came to life after him. Now, why is this important? 
Paul is going to go on in Romans, his letter to Romans chapter 6, verse 5. He says, if we have been united with him in a death like his, which, what does that mean? He explains that actually. But he says, if we're united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. In other words, just as he came back from the dead, we will come back from the dead. Yet we will not be crucified, maybe, many of the apostles were, we will not have to be crucified the way he was, but we will be crucified to sin. In 1 Thessalonians, he writes, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we'll always be with the Lord. It's one of the places where we get our teaching on what it means to go to heaven. We will be resurrected. All people will live again. We share that with Jesus. Jesus said the whole of the Old Testament, all of the law, I didn't say the Old Testament, I didn't have the Old Testament, all of the law can be summed up in what was it? Somebody say it. Even with your mask on. To do what? To love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He says that everything is wrapped up in this reality of love and relationships. Everything. And Paul, when he teaches on love, says, at the end of the day, everything's going to be gone except one thing, and that is love. God is moving us to a restoration relationship with him that involves relationships with each other. And I fully believe Jesus didn't need a crowd to come from, back from the dead, but the crowd demonstrated that he, it wasn't just him that was affected by this. What does it look like for us to be a people who have resurrection power within us? What does it look like for us to be a part of a family that comes back from the dead. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you. Paul says this in Romans 8, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the, de- uh, from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you, which means if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the same power. I'm just not sure there's another power that's more important today in a world swirling with death than a life affected with this resurrection power. Paul says, if you have the Holy Spirit, you have it. You have it within you. I grew up in a tradition in which we didn't talk about the Holy Spirit. We called it the Holy Ghost. It was scary. You don't want to talk about the Holy Spirit. All those crazy people talk about the Holy Spirit and do crazy Things And yet you can't follow Jesus if you don't understand what the Holy Spirit is, who he is, and what he does. It gives us power. What does it give us power to do? I will just tell you, I want this resurrection power in my life. Do you ever pray for God to do something and he not do it? I do. <laughs> there are so many times I say, God, would you just fix this? Just fix this. Like, I don't see how this is going to be fixed. So can you just fix this? So many times God doesn't fix it. 
What does it look like to have this resurrection power within us? If we're going to move forward, I've, I debated, I'm not going to show it today. I'm going to show it, I think, on Easter. There's this incredible clip of, um, well, I'm not even going to bring it up. I want to wait. I'm going to wait. Isn't this terrible? All right, I'll tell you about it. But don't tell anybody. I need you to forget it before Easter. Can you do that? All right, you can go you can go look it up for yourself if you want to, but you'll have to do a little work. I'll do all the work for you on Easter. All right. So you're probably familiar with Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson is a psychologist, philosopher. Uh, he's a a professor of philosophy and psychology in Canada. Christians love him. I mean, they love him. They post his stuff all the time. Conservatives love him. Republicans love him because typically his take on humanity is incredibly conservative. But he's not a Christian. But now if you ask him if he's a Christian, he'll say something like, um, I mean, yes. And he would probably say it just like that. Because at the end of the day, he's what he's going to volunteer as information is to say, no, I'm not a Christian. I'm not. I'm not a believer. He is a profound voice for this generation to talk about issues of humanity and society. And yet he, for the most part, professes to be an atheist. And yet there's this, he did a podcast, and in the podcast he actually breaks down and he says, no, I don't believe. He said, but I see these things that happen in the world. Have I shared this story before? Good. I'm going to share it again. So this is the first one. I'll ask that question again on Easter because I'll forget I shared it this week. But he says, how can I confess to believe something like this? He said, there are times in the world, we view the world, this objective world, with this uh, lens of I see it, therefore I believe it. That's the way most of us live. But there's this other narrative that's going on out here, this other narrative that we can't objectively see with our eyes, but we believe it's going on, but we can't prove it the same way we prove this objective view of the world. But there are moments in which this narrative world touches the objective world. This is where I would compare it to the kingdom of God intersects with the kingdom of the world. There's this time when this narrative world just connects with the objective world and we have no choice but to say there's more than what we can see objectively in the world. We have no choice but to say that. So there has to be a God because I have seen the narrative world intersect with the objective world. But how can I profess to believe in him? Because if that is true, it would change everything about the person that saw it and believed it. And I dare not say I believe it because it would mean I would have to be totally transformed. And so it scares me to death to believe it's true. This is a guy who for the most part professes to be an atheist talking about the glory and majesty of God when he touches the world. Now, is he a Christian? Is he not a Christian? We don't know, but I don't know many Christians that have that high of a view of God. I'm not sure I do. It's amazing when people are truly honest that have experienced the power of God within their lives. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead 
in which this narrative world and objective world collide is the same power that's at work in you because of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 15, 12, I don't have that for you to read. You can go back and read it. Literally says, if the resurrection didn't happen, our faith is for nothing. Meaningless. If this didn't happen, why are we here? Go back to our story. I'm already out of time. (laughs) You can stay after and I'll talk with you after if you want to. But I do believe the reason that these resurrection stories are a part of Jesus' resurrection story is because community is incredibly important to the gospel, to the body of Christ, and to God. He has community with himself through the God the Father, the God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He has community with us, even so far as to say we are adopted as sons and daughters. Community relationships are a central part of the gospel, and that's one of the reasons I believe Jesus is involving people in his resurrection. Now, don't misunderstand me. They had nothing to do with overcoming sin and death. But they partook in the power of the resurrection because it is a community experience. This is why I believe relationships is our key moving forward. This is why I want to encourage you, if you feel safe, if you don't, join us online. If you feel safe getting out, I want to encourage you to be here every single time you can. We've always been... We've always tried to be a place where we don't schedule your whole week because you need to do life with other people too. How do we experience the body of Christness if the body of Christ isn't together? Now, we've done the best we could over the past year, and this is in no way trying to shame people into walking in the door because we're in a transitional period. I know many aren't ready to walk in the door, and I fully affirm their decision to wait until they feel safe. But as you feel safe, I encourage you to participate in relationships with each other. In 2017, the University of Utah congregated a number of studies that a number of physicians at their university had done. And in different fields and different specialties to find this incredible reality that healthy, loving relationships positively impact your life physically. Physically. They came up with seven truths that they found what happens when you're in healthy, positive relationships with other people. Now, I want you to listen, I want you to hear this in the context of what it means to be a community, a family, what it means to be the body of Christ. When you're in healthy, loving relationships, they said, number one, you live longer, especially men. Ha! (laughs) Men who don't want to hang out with anybody, you die quick. We live longer. And they equated this because stress reduces the length of our life. And significant relationships with other people who reduce stress in our lives cause us to live longer. Often, whenever you're in a romantic relationship, man or woman, 
you will change for the person you love, which means if you do have unhealthy habits, you will tend to give them up because you want to spend as much time with your loved one as possible. A second thing they found, the power of healthy, loving relationships is that if you are wounded, you heal quicker. Now, these are physicians at the University of Utah, all right? You heal quicker. They say those with strong social support have better recoveries, and that can include friends, family. It can even include a pet. It lowers your stress hormones, which aids in your body healing quicker. They say, on average, those people who are in healthy, loving relationships have lower blood pressure because they feel safe and secure in a positive relationship, and it calms anxiety, and it helps keep your blood pressure in check. Some of you are thinking, I've had this all, I've got this all, I'm going to stop taking my pills. Don't do that yet. I'm going to come to church more. Fourth thing they found is that healthy, loving relationships bolster our immune systems. You can actually fight off. Well, I'm not going to say that because that's I'm not a doctor. That's that'll come. Somebody will snip that out, and I'll be some crazy preacher. I'm not going to say that. I was, I was joking. I'm not going to say it. We bolster our immune systems. People who engage in supportive, positive relationships produce more oxytocin and seem less likely to experience the negative effects of stress, anxiety, and depression, which increases our immune system response because those things depress our immune system response. Number five, those people in healthy, loving relationships tend to be more physically fit. Number six, cardiologists said they enjoy better heart health. Loving feelings cause your brain to release dopamine, adrenaline, nor, I don't even, norepinephrine, which makes your heart beat faster and stronger in response to such emotions. And again, the reduction of stress increases your heart health. And the seventh thing that these physicians found is that loving, healthy relationships cause you to feel less pain. We're going to try this out after the service. I'm going to need some volunteers. <laughs> A behavioral study said that the presentation of romantic partner pictures was sufficient to reduce experimentally induced pain. Yet when they also offered just attractive pictures to the same person, it had no effect on their pain. But someone that they love, they saw their pictures and they experienced less pain in a in an experimental environment. University of Utah, you can look it up. Which brings me to the reality that when we look in the Bible, God already knew this. You know the one another statements in the Bible? There are 59 one another statements. I'm not going to read all these, but file through those, Jeremy. 59 one another statements that you'll find in the Bible. Wash one another's feet, outdo one another, showing love, greet one another, wait for one another when you eat together, comfort one another through love, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, and they go on and on and on. 
See, this is built into us. We are created with this reality that relationships have a physical effect on us. John 13, 34, 35, a new commandment I give to you, love one another just as I have loved you. Love others. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It changes us. 1 John 4, 11, God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God We love one another. God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. This is also why Scripture is so clear about what we're not supposed to do. You know, the Bible says if a person comes into a church or comes into a faith community and is divisive or is trying to hurt people, you're to put them out. That's why the Bible says don't gossip. Don't do the things that tear people apart. Do the things that bring people together. Relationships are just so, so important. Andy Stanley said this about the one another's. The primary activity of the church was one anothering one another. Only Andy Stanley could come up with that statement. The primary activity of the church was one anothering one another, which is what we read in Acts chapter 2. I shared this week... Someone I love to read, Francis Chan, said this, our believability is demonstrated by our unity. Oh, that is so good, which is taken from John 17. I don't ask for these only, for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So our love for one another actually causes us demonstrate that we have a credible, believable gospel to share with other people. So, this 30-minute sermon is tough. I'll tell you. I'm more I got to say here. But that's all I'm going to share with you today. I've got another one for you next week. But I want to leave you with this. Some of you are struggling because life has not turned out the way you thought it was going to turn out. And while you're not concerned with COVID... You're circling in this storm of death in your everyday life because you're afraid life is not going to work out. Some of you have given up on following Jesus because you feel like every time you have tried, it hasn't worked out. You lose relationships. You lose friendships. You have people that turn away from you. Some of you are in a place in which you have prayed for something over and over and over again, and it has still not come to pass. And in fact, it may actually have gone the other way. You're questioning right now if God is real. We talk about this resurrection power, but do we really experience it? If we have the Holy Spirit in which Jesus said, when I go... Those who follow me will have the Holy Spirit within our lives. If you do, it is the same Holy Spirit that brought Jesus back from the dead. And I want to encourage you, one of the ways that we do that is we help each other. As Jordan Peterson says, it's terrifying to truly believe that this could be real because if it's really real, then it would absolutely transform us Are we transformed 
which begs the question, do we really believe? As we move forward over these next few weeks, we are a resurrection people. You are a resurrection people. The power that brought Jesus out of the tomb is at work in your life. Believe it. Pray for it. Look for it. Even if all of your prayers don't go in the direction that you hope, know that God loves you and is working for your good. He is at work, and we trust him. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you've demonstrated your power in so many ways. I thank you for the love that we've experienced, not just with Jesus on the cross, but him walking out of the tomb and involving us in his family. I pray for those that need a resurrection moment in their lives right now. They need to experience life that's real and true. Father, I pray that we would be a people that we are known for our love. Someone walks in the door, we light up just to see them because we love them. We have an opportunity to encourage someone and give them some of our courage doesn't cost us anything because we care for them. Pray that we will see people differently. We will see them as people who are worthy to be loved, worthy of our sacrifice. Father, let us experience what you've called us to. I ask all this in Jesus' name.